dear friends in Christ, there are many different types of pastors. There's the Andrew type of pastor. He was the first one to bring somebody to Jesus. And so this type of pastor is always inviting others to enjoy the gifts that Christ has given the church. Then there's the James and John type, who are appropriately named the Sons of Thunder. When a Samaritan village rejected Jesus, they wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume the village. But notice how they still got certified for the ministry. And then there's the Peter approach. This pastor is a leader, but many often why, because he so often sticks his foot in the mouth. On that evening of the first day of the week after Easter, Jesus ordained the apostles. They had their years of seminary with our Lord, and the resurrection was their graduation. He taught them courses on Old Testament, dogmatics, homiletics. But the most important class is the course on Christology. On a daily basis, Jesus was teaching the twelve about himself. It was a hard class. Concepts of incarnation, perichoresis, and atonement are difficult to grasp. We're told over and over again that the disciples didn't get it. And I can hardly fault them. I'm only beginning to understand the classes that I took two years ago. Now, some didn't make it to ordination, a testament to how difficult the road is. Judas flunked out, but even then he is still counted. The evangelist John refers to the twelve, not the eleven in our text today. Even though Judas flunked out, the effects of his betrayal don't go away. And Peter almost flunked out too, as he denied our Lord three times. But the most important Christological topic for you and me is the forgiveness of sins. Judas remained impenitent while Peter repented. Peter received forgiveness and now the apostles were about to be given their most important duty, forgiving and retaining the sins of others. No matter what type of pastor you have, they're all really the same because their duty is the same, to exercise the office of the keys. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now this really flies in the face of our lawless society. We're constantly told not to judge others. They're not hurting anybody else. Anybody can do whatever they want with their bodies. And you better not say anything. Others like to quote the Bible, namely the Sermon on the Mount, without understanding what it really means. But pastors are given this authority from Christ. The church gives her yeses and her noes. The church gives and the church withholds. The office of the keys, that is the ability to unlock and keep locked the chain of sin around your neck, it doesn't provide two competing abilities. Forgiving and withholding forgiveness have the same goal. We say no to sin. 
in order that the person may repent and be given the yes of forgiveness. The pastor has the authority to withhold communion so that the person may see his or her errors repent and receive forgiveness. This doesn't just apply to your actions, although it absolutely does apply to your actions and those who live in open sin. This also applies to what you believe. What you believe has eternal consequences. Believing in false doctrine is sin. Jesus and the epistles constantly warn us to look out for false teachers because they rob of life and salvation. We're not strong enough to ingest false teaching and be okay. The name of the Sunday after Easter, which is today, is Quasimodo Geniti, who the character in The Hunchback of Notre Dame is named after. Quasimodo comes from the introit, Quasimodo Geniti Infantis, which is from 1 Peter 2.2, meaning as newborn infants desire milk. We are newborn infants who constantly need spiritual milk. We always need to be fed God's word, and when we're not fed, we stray away. Other church bodies might have God's word, but they taint the milk. Babies can't live off of tainted milk. Children want candy over milk, but their mother needs to override their harmful desire. And this is offensive to hear. Open communion is touted as loving, while in fact it's just lazy and forsakes the duty that that Christ has given pastors in the church. Someone grew up in this congregation, and they have since left, and they go to a Baptist, non-denominational, or even another Lutheran congregation who teaches falsely. It is the pastor's duty, backed up by Christ's authority, to withhold communion if they come back on a random Sunday. This isn't to be a jerk, but it is to say no to sin, so that we may later say yes and amen. Now let's get back to the apostles' ordination. One wasn't there in the upper room that night. Thomas. And he's usually seen as the bad guy. Thomas has become a synonym for a skeptic. The doubting Thomas type of pastor needs to verify everything. This type of pastor might be seen in a negative light because he spends too much time in his office double-checking every fact in his sermon and in Bible class. But skepticism is an appropriate response to the resurrection of our Lord, an event that is not ordinary. Fake news was being circulated that Jesus' body was stolen. And in fact, Thomas is not like, he's not unlike the other ten. Who, they didn't believe the women's report until they saw Jesus for themselves. The disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't believe it either until they recognized Jesus with their own eyes. But Thomas's skepticism is beneficial to us. The resurrection is the foundation of Christianity. Some biblical scholars and secularists say that the veracity of the resurrection doesn't matter. They say what matters is that Christianity leads 
people to live a good life. And as the fabric of society, Judeo-Christian values are, well, pretty good. And while it's tempting to agree with these people, because we do, in fact, endorse Christian values, we must call out their position for what it is. Nonsense. Without the resurrection, Christianity means nothing. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, you people are to be most pitied. The apostles and Thomas could preach forgiveness, and while it might bring some psychological relief, it doesn't actually mean anything without a resurrected Lord. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval on the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross, guaranteeing your forgiveness. Without the resurrection, Jesus was just another criminal who suffered under capital punishment. Now, a requirement to be an apostle was to see the resurrected Lord, which also motivated Thomas. But Thomas takes it one step further. Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side... I will never believe. And as my biohazardous materials training class taught me at the beginning of the year, I'm not supposed to touch bodily fluids or touch an open wound without gloves. Now, the easiest way to pass that test was just to say that everything was Linda's job. So Thomas's request grosses us out. But these wounds are different. These wounds are still present. Just as John refers to the twelve, even though there's only eleven now, Jesus remains the crucified one. Even though Jesus is resurrected, he is always the crucified one. His wounds are always there. His hands and sides still bear the wounds by which we are healed. Even in his glorified body, Jesus had scars. And Jesus ascended into heaven, where now the Father is constantly looking at the crucified one, remembering the sacrifice that atoned for all the world's sins. These wounds are still open in heaven, pouring out the blood and water that flowed from his side during the crucifixion, These wounds are still flooding our baptismal fonts and overflowing our chalices. And as Jesus invited Thomas to touch his wounds, Thomas cries out the great confession. The great confession that is our confession. Without doubting Thomas, we don't get this beautiful moment. With Thomas, we all cry out, My Lord And my God. Of course, the elephant in the room is that you were not there. The answer to the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Is a resounding no. You weren't in the upper room as Jesus appeared to the apostles. And John knows the dilemma. So he adds, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, 
But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thanks be to God for Thomas, who was a skeptic of the resurrection, so that we don't have to be. Thanks be to God for Thomas, so that we can be sure of the Pax Domini, the peace of the Lord, that the pastor speaks right after the words of institution. Thanks be to God for Thomas, who received the nickname Downing Thomas, so that we don't have to doubt the word of forgiveness that our pastor speaks is true, and it's backed up by the historical reality of the resurrection. With Thomas, we cry out our Easter anthem, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, Alleluia.